All right, you can tell it's summer. We're having a little bit of fun, having a little bit of fun. But if you were in trouble and that crew showed up to rescue you, you would be in more trouble. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Uh, we're, we're talking about the B team because I think a lot of us feel like we are the B team, right? Like we, we think about the people who are out there doing amazing stuff, changing the world, saving the planet. And we're just not sure if that's us. And we're going to be remembering some people from God's word that maybe are worth remembering. And maybe we can even learn something from them. It's a good weekend uh, to remember things, isn't it? You know, some things are easy to remember. Some people are easy to remember, the impact they had on your life, you know. Some events are easy to remember. They, they were so important. They changed everything. You remember them naturally. Uh, but there are some things we remember on purpose, right? We decide to remember. Uh, and that's what Memorial Day is for. It's for remembering on purpose things we would otherwise let ourselves forget, but we don't intend to forget. And so we're going to do a little bit of that in the service, but I just want to remind you to make sure you take some time this weekend to remember on purpose. In fact, this whole series is about remembering on purpose. Uh, it's called the B Team, and it's going to help us remember some people that we might otherwise forget. The Bible is filled with great characters, and God's, words, God's Word wants us to learn from all of them. Some of them we learn from because they are role models, and we want to be like them. Uh, sometimes we learn, some, learn from them because they are not role models, and we want to be nothing like them. But what we're going to do in this series, B-Team, over the next few weeks, is look at a few characters from Scripture that you might have forgotten you might have never even heard of. They're not the ones we remember naturally. It's not Peter and Paul and Jesus and Moses and David. Uh, we're going to look at the B team, the backups, the ones that get overlooked and forgotten, the people that might be like us. At least that's how I feel. I look around at other people and think, man, if only I could make an impact like that. Or if only I could be like that or live like that. We're studying the history of our church this year because it's our 150th anniversary as a church. And I'm reading some of the stories from our past. And I'm like, wow, if I could lead like that or have faith like that or give like that or serve like that, well, then I could really make a difference. But all I've got is who I am. Maybe you wonder, could God use me? Like, do I have what it takes to really make a difference? Or am I just on the B team? But it turns out, even the people you've never heard of, God can use to change the world. God could even use you. Uh, take a look with me at a guy named Stephen. Stephen is on the B team. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He never traveled as a missionary. He didn't plant churches. He didn't write any of the Bible. Some of you have never heard of him. But he did get used by God in a mighty way, and we can learn some stuff from his life about how God could use us in the same way. To start the story of Stephen, let's start with his one big moment. 
It's in Acts chapter 7. He's been arrested for serving Jesus. And he's being put on a public trial for blasphemy. The sentence, if he's convicted, is death. And in that context, in his defense, he preaches a sermon to the crowds. You can read the whole thing in Acts chapter 7. I'll just give you a taste of the sermon. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Now, this story that Stephen is telling is a story they all would know. It's their own history. And he goes on to share the history of how God's people were enslaved, how God sent Moses to rescue them. He tells the story of how the people rejected Moses and ignored Moses and rebelled against Moses, even though God had sent Moses to lead them. After this story, he reminds them of a prophecy that Moses gave. Then Moses told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received this living word, which he passed on to us. But our ancestors still refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. This was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it, and they reveled in what their hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun and moon and stars. He discusses a little bit more, Stephen does, about how they rejected the leadership of Moses, even though God had brought Moses to them to rescue them. And then he compares it. He says, in the same way that our ancestors rejected Moses, you have rejected Jesus. He says, you stiff-necked people. Your heart and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Well, that was enough for those listening to Stephen's uh, sermon slash trial defense. And they decided the time had come to stone him. 
It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I have seen heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears. And yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now this moment is a big deal. It's a turning point in the history of the church. First of all, Saul is there, the young man holding all the coats. Saul, who would become the great persecutor of Christian. Saul, who would meet Jesus on the road to Damascus and become Paul, the apostle, planter of churches, writer of half the New Testament. Could this be the very first time he ever heard the gospel from the lips of a dying man? And then not just Saul, but the crowds were there. Thousands were there listening. And right after this, an explosion of evangelism sweeps across Jerusalem and the surrounding region. And the government was there as Stephen challenges them for their complicity in the injustice against Jesus. It's not just a big moment because of who's there and what happens, but it's a big moment because Stephen represents the character of Jesus Christ so well in this moment. Stephen is called the first martyr of the church, the first person we know who was killed for his faith. And in this moment, he teaches all the rest of us how to die for our faith. His last words are words of grace and forgiveness for the very people that attacked him, just like Jesus. And ever since, Christians have known, what do we do when we are attacked? We forgive, and we show grace and mercy to those that have attacked us. And the turning point, the model we have for this, is Stephen. It's a big moment in the early church when the trajectory of their ministry is transformed from a secret kind of Jewish sect to a global missionary church. And maybe you look at this moment in Stephen's life and you sort of think, I'd like to make an impact like that. I would like to make a difference for Jesus in my world. I would love to change the trajectory of my family or change the trajectory of my city or my state or my nation. I'd love to be at the place where I could boldly speak up for Christ in a way that turned history toward grace and redemption and goodness and mercy. Or maybe you look at that story and you dream about that kind of character under pressure. 
I'd like to be the kind of guy who could forgive my enemies even while they attacked me. I'd like to be the kind of person who could love those who don't love me in return. I'd like to be the kind of person who could stand up and represent Jesus so well when the pressure was on and the world was watching. Those two dreams compel me. They drive me to be a person who makes an impact for Jesus and to be a person who has the character of Christ even under pressure, even when things are hard. I would love it if those two things could be true of me that were true of Stephen. But how? How do you prepare for that kind of moment? How do you prepare and develop that kind of character? Well, I'll tell you, I think the answer to the how question is in Stephen's life. This relatively minor character didn't live long enough to plant any churches or write any part of the Bible, but I think he lived long enough to teach us how to develop that kind of character and how to live ready to make that kind of impact. If I had to summarize the lesson we learned from Stephen's life, I'd call it this. Start small and keep moving. If you want to make an impact for Jesus, start small and keep moving. If you want to develop the kind of character of Christ that will make other people talk about you because you're so much like Jesus, start small and keep moving. We learn this lesson not from the end of Stephen's life, but from the beginning. The beginning of Stephen's ministry is recorded just one chapter earlier in Acts chapter 6. Here's the way his ministry got started. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. By the way, here's a secret. If you ever have to read the Bible and you come to a list of names that you don't know how to pronounce, the secret is just read them all fast because nobody else knows how to pronounce them either, okay? Little tidbit for you. There you go. Just read them fast and keep moving. So there we are. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. Stephen's big day was a trial for his life with thousands watching. Stephen's big testimony was that he forgave the very people who were trying to kill him while they were killing him. But how did he get ready for the big day? How did he prepare for the big testimony? Took food to widows. That was it. That's how Stephen got his start. They need seven people to distribute food. That's how Stephen prepared to stand before the Sanhedrin, declare the glory of Christ, forgive his attackers in the face of deadly threat. 
How was he ready when the big day came? Start small and keep moving. This is the lesson of the life of Stephen. If any part of you wants to make a big impact for Christ in this church, in this town, in this world, start small, keep moving. Find somebody who's hungry, visit them, feed them. Find somebody who's lonely, visit them. Find somebody sad, comfort them. Start small, keep moving. If anybody here wants to develop the character of Christ that would allow you to forgive people and love people and give people second chances when they don't deserve them, start small and keep moving. Stephen's not alone in this. This is true for David. Now, David's part of the A-team. You've probably heard of David. He was a king in the Old Testament, the great king of Israel, the uniter of the nation, the defeater of Goliath, the defender of foreign armies. You know how he got his start? His dad sent him to do the job nobody else wanted to do, to go wander the fields for days by himself, keeping up with the sheep. And he did that simple task so faithfully and so thoroughly that when the prophet Samuel showed up and said, I'm looking for someone who has the character to be king, God said, pick the little guy who takes care of the sheep. Kids, it may sound crazy, but if you're trying to figure out how do I live now so that I'll be ready to grow up and do great things, well, here's how David got his start. He just obeyed his dad. Like that was it. And I know, like, I know your parents paid me to say that, but it's still true. Okay, that was his start. His dad said, go take care of the sheep. He took care of the sheep. His dad said, go get your brothers, get your brothers. His dad said, take this big hunk of cheese. This is literally how David got into the fight with Goliath. His dad said, take this hunk of cheese to your brothers so they're not hungry. And he's like, all right, whatever. I'll take the cheese to my brothers. That's how he got his start. He just did what his dad told him. Jesus teaches this principle directly. He says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. We, of course, like to pretend that Jesus is wrong in this, that we can compromise in the little things but still be faithful in the big things. And Jesus says that's not how it works at all. I just want to kind of zero in on a few areas here. Uh, Imagine you've decided you want to develop the character of Christ. You want to develop Christian character. You want to be a person of love and forgiveness and grace and patience and long-suffering. You want to be able to forgive your enemies like Stephen did and love your neighbor like Jesus did and be patient in suffering Like Jesus was. I remember a few years ago, I was reflecting with a friend on a mutual loved one who was near the end of her struggle with cancer. It had been a multi-year, deeply painful struggle, and she was on the edge of death. And I said to my friend, I wonder how she does it. How does, like every time I go visit her, I'm there trying to comfort her, and instead she comforts me. I'm trying to worry about her health, but instead she's worried about my health. Like even in great pain, she is constantly thinking of others and praying for others and caring for others without a thought for herself. I hope if I ever am in a situation like that, I can be just as generous as she is. 
wonder how she does it. And my friend said back to me, well, she's been practicing for this moment her whole life. She's been a generous, kind person thinking of others and caring for others her whole life. She practiced when it was easy, and so now when it's hard, she's ready for the challenge. My grandmother described this truth in this way. She used to say, you know, people don't get better with age. They just get more like themselves. Or, she would pause, they get more like Jesus. That's it, she said. You either become more like yourself or you become more like Jesus. To, to, to me, directly, she would say it this way. Practice now being the person you hope to one day be. She would say, forgive your brother for however he insulted you. Why? Because you're practicing now to be a person who can forgive great things. Show up when you say you will. Why? Because you're practicing now to be a person who's reliable. Who you are, this is the principle of this, uh, who you are in your big moments is just a magnification of who you have practiced being in your little moments. And we, we, we like to tell ourselves the illusion that in our little moments we can compromise and cut corners and somehow we'll still be ready to stand firm when the pressure's on, but that isn't how it actually works. Christian character is developed when we practice being the person we hope to be. This is true of Christian service, right? You want to do something great for Jesus one day, and, and you're just sure if the opportunity ever presented it for you to serve Christ in some great way or for you to be generous with some profound gift of generosity, if a big opportunity ever presented itself, you're just sure you'd come through. Well, we practice for the big opportunities by how we treat the little opportunities. Mother Teresa used to instruct those who serve with her, be faithful in small things, because in them you will find your strength. We fall into the trap. Oh, if there was a big need. If they really needed my help, I would show up. But I don't have time for the little stuff. But that's a misunderstanding. It is the small acts of service that put us in the place where the big acts of service can be performed, that prepare us and shape us into the people that God can use to really move the kingdom forward. How did Stephen make a difference? Well, this great sermon, dying for his faith. How did he prepare to make a difference? He took food to widows. That's how he got his practice. I think about this especially as we think about Memorial Day, right? Memorial Day, we remember the great act of service. Those who, who laid down their lives for the cause of their country. But I'm also reminded of some reflections that C.S. Lewis wrote. C.S. Lewis was a World War II veteran. Uh, he was a Brit. Um, but he wrote some reflections for what they call Remembrance Day. It's very similar to our Memorial Day. They celebrated it in November. And, and he said something like this. He said... We rightly remember the heroism of those who died to protect their families and their loved ones. 
we rightly remember the heroism of those who died. But that great act of heroism did not happen in isolation. It was the culmination of hundreds of small acts of heroism that brought them to that moment. The heroism of a life of service, the heroism of enlisting, the heroism of volunteering for a dangerous unit or a dangerous assignment that led to their death instead of someone else's. The heroism of standing firm in great peril. He says we forget that great acts of heroism are prepared for by hundreds of small acts that lie before them. How do you do great things and change the world? How to become the kind of person who bears the character of Christ, loving and forgiving and patience and kindness, even under pressure, even in situations of chaos? You start small and keep moving. Practice being the person you hope to one day be. Jesus says, the one who is faithful in little things will be faithful in much. But remember, there's a warning here too. I do have to warn you because Jesus also says, and the one who is dishonest in little will be dishonest in much. This principle we've been talking about that is a principle that can lead you to great service and great character, it works the other way as well, okay? If you want to know, how do I really fail greatly? How do I magnificently let down all the people I care about? How do I make a disaster of my career and my life and my family? How do I destroy all the things I love? Well, for that too, you start small and keep moving. I mean, that's the way it happens, right? No one sets out and says, I want to destroy my marriage. I want to just rip the whole thing apart. No, they just make a small compromise with their integrity or their anger or their faithfulness or their grace. And they say, ah, it's not a big deal. This won't do much damage. And then they start small and keep moving. I remember one day kids were little they were kind of in that stage where they were adorable but also a little wild you know I don't know five six seven something like that Betsy had gone to church early she was working as a worship pastor at the time so she had to be there super early getting ready I was getting the kids ready for church that morning and they were being their usual adorable rambunctious selves but I didn't need an adorable rambunctious children right then I needed efficient, obedient children so we could get to church on time. And I know a trick that could turn my adorable, rambunctious kids into efficient, obedient kids. All I had to do was yell at them. That's it. All I had to do was yell. And the clock was ticking, and I was going to be late for work, and I had stuff to do at church that day too, and so I used my trick. I used it in spades. And it worked. Breakfast got eaten, clothes got put on, they got buckled up in the car, and we were not late to work. 
and my kids were scared of me. Later that day, I was talking with a, a friend, and I just said, I don't get it. How can I let myself lose my temper with my kids? I would die for those boys. And he didn't take it. He just said right back, he said, Ethan, when you say you'd die for them, you mean you'd like jump in a river for them. But that's not going to happen. The real question isn't if you would die in some big blaze of glory, some big proof of how much you love your kids. Your problem is you won't be late to work for them. That's your problem. You'll die for them, but you won't show up late to work or get a little embarrassed or wear a shirt that has yogurt on it because they ain't messy. See, I wanted to be ready for the big things, but I wasn't doing the small things. This truth works both ways, but I do want you to know it works the way you want it to. If you want the character of Christ in your life, if you want to do stuff for Jesus that matters, start small and keep moving. It's the secret to a high-impact life for Jesus. Kids, if, if, if you're like, someday I want to do amazing things for God. I know it sounds crazy, but step one, obey your parents. Step two, read your Bible. I mean, just start with the littlest thing you can think of to do. Step three, forgive your siblings. Step four, be on time for something. I don't know what it is, just the littlest things. You just start small and you keep moving and you will wind up just where Stephen did. Young adults... You're trying to figure out how do I live a high-impact, high-value life? How do I have a career that matters? I know it sounds silly, but show up on time. Work hard. Be prepared. Start small. Keep moving. Find a widow who needs food. Take them food. Who knows what it could turn into? Empty nesters, retirees. How are you going to make a big difference out of the last half of your life? You know, you got more time and more money than you ever knew what to do with. How are you going to make a big difference with the last half of your life? I'm telling you, start small and keep moving. Don't wait for the big ask. Volunteer in the welcome team. Work in the nursery. Show up and help with men's ministry. I don't know what it is. Just start small and keep moving. Look for a neighbor who's in trouble. Man, I talked to a guy yesterday. He might even be in this room. I don't know, but I'm not going to use his name because I don't embarrass him. But I love this. He lives in a house, and he's got this gorgeous view off his back deck, but they're getting ready to put in a bunch of apartments behind his house. It's going to ruin his view. And he said he spent, a, he spent a week or two grousing about it, and like, ah, stupid apartments. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit told him, look at all those people that are going to move in that need the gospel. And so what he's doing now is he's praying for them every day. Every time he sees that construction vehicle go by his back deck, he prays for the people. He's just going to start small and keep moving. I believe he's going to baptize some of those people. I believe some people are going to come to know Jesus just because he started small and he's going to keep moving. And you have that opportunity before you too. Don't wait and think that the big moment will come and you'll step up with character that you haven't developed. Or you'll step up with service that you haven't prepared for. That's not the way it works. The big moments are just a magnification of the little moments. I want so much in my life to be like Stephen. And I want that for you too. And it starts with simple service and a commitment to Christian character. You start small and keep moving.
Let me pray for you. Gracious God, I just, I just ask that everybody here would have a clear vision of how they could start small and keep moving. Maybe they need to forgive a friend so that they can become a person of profound forgiveness. Maybe they need to feed a widow so that they can become a person of profound service. Maybe they need to serve on a greeter team so they can become a person of profound welcome and evangelistic impact. Maybe they need to hug their kids so they can become a parent of great influence and love in a child's life. I don't know what it is, but I believe, God, you are calling us to do greater things than we anticipate. But the first step in that is not the big things, but the little things. So I just pray that today we can learn from, learn from Stephen today, that you, we would give you our whole lives, starting with the little things, and then keep moving, trusting us to lead you, that you will lead us to be the people you need us to be and to do the work you have for us to do. We pray all this, giving you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.